0: stand together and join our hearts as we sing victory in Jesus. Jesus.
1: I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turn.
2: Heavenly Father, God, Savior, thank you for allowing us to be in this place to worship you. God, I just want to lay all of our worries and our pain uh, at your feet, God. And uh, Lord, if you would just uh, watch over, as we know you're always watching everything we do, but right now, just those folks in Louisiana um, that are being affected by this hurricane, God, if you would just wrap your arms around every single person. Um, that's being affected by this and just your uh, shroud of protection around them and god just uh, continue to watch over um, all those that are affected with covid um, and just all of the the pain and the hurt we know that we can rely on you Um, and god we just worship you in this place and we know you're here and god just be with each and every person here that we may continue to worship your name in jesus name we pray amen amen well
0: this next song that we're going to sing is a new song called House of the Lord, written by Phil Wickham. Phil wrote this song in the middle of the pandemic. He said he realized that the house of the Lord is not something that's made by hands, it's not something that's made by man, but the house of the Lord is us as believers. We are the house of the Lord. You have everything inside of you right now to change and to impact the world around you kingdom of God Jesus has put inside of us his Holy Spirit and we can have victory we can celebrate because of what he has done so let's all stand together let's not be silent let's shout out with praise about the house of the Lord
1: We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He pardoned the raging sea. My God, He holds the victory. Ciao. Shout-
0: Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 the word of God says that God demonstrates his love for us in this while we were still sinners, Christ died for us the evidence is that Christ died for us oh we serve a good God, Amen? amen well let's sing to him this morning, God you're so good God your song Are faithful. We have joy in you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you're doing. And thank you for what you're going to do. May you use us to be light and soul to a lost and dying world, telling the world about the joy.
3: Isn't it amazing how you can remember where you were for particular songs that kind of have a unique memory for you? When we were singing that last song, it took me to Haiti. Some of you will remember being down there after the earthquake uh, almost uh, almost 10 years ago. We were in a small little outdoor church because the church building had been destroyed. There were tarps around, metal roof over top, goats passing through. We were sitting on uh, these wooden handmade benches everything around them had been devastated and they were singing that song it was a powerful moment and i my prayer is today that uh, those as zach had prayed earlier in louisiana would would sense the goodness of god even in the midst of what is taking place over there uh, so let's pray for them again and also pray for those in afghanistan who are under such duress and persecution let's pray god You have heard our prayers already, and we just appeal to you again that those in harm's way, both spiritually, physically, that they would know of your presence in such a palpable way. We know how many times that we have been in this gym as a a resource, a supply center, a haven for people to come and for people to work. We know what it is to be on the receiving end of a catastrophic hurricane. Our hearts are so heavy. Lord, we pray that not only would there be the experience of protection, but spiritually a crying out to you, that people would seek you with all their heart. Lord, I can't imagine the atrocities in Afghanistan where brothers and sisters in Christ being forced to make Unbelievable decisions, life and death decisions, decisions about their family. Strengthen them, I pray. May they know the truth of your word that says that you will uphold them in the palm of your righteous right hand. Lord, you are good, and I pray that you would give us eyes to see that you're good even when things aren't good around us. That we would not confuse material blessings with your blessings. God, we would know what it is to be in deep, abiding relationship with you that gives us joy, even in the midst of a very difficult journey. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, there was another very difficult time back in 1992, and you will recall the experience either through history or you were there to live it out, and it was the verdict of the Rodney King case. Four officers that had been accused of police brutality, they were acquitted, and riots began to break out all across Los Angeles. Rodney King, who was the the the, um, the person who had been harmed by the police, went on television, tried to squelch the riots by asking the question, "Can we all get along?" Can we all get along? Can't we just all get along? This question is as old as time, dating all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when sin entered into the world. And we'll recall in the next chapter, it records the very first episode of people not getting along when Cain took the life of his brother Abel. We live with a hope that people eventually will get along, and that there will be peace. And it seems as if every person that comes along, regardless of what field they're in, there is the hope and the optimism of peace. But the prospects of global tranquility are impossible at this point in time. We can't get along, because that's what Scripture teaches us. But the news isn't all bad today though at times you will question my assertion of that. Let's look at John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27. And and while you're turning there, I want to make two very quick observations before we read it. Remember, first of all, that Jesus is in the very last hours of his life. He is about to be arrested, and he will be crucified roughly 12 hours from these statements. So what we hear today is Jesus preparing his disciples for a very harsh reality that awaits them. Secondly, we're reminded that John wrote these words six decades after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So at the time of his writing, persecution against Christians was bad, and it was getting worse under Roman oppression, especially under Domitian, who was the emperor, the very first one who billed himself as God the Lord. So those receiving John chapter 15, this gospel, 19 centuries ago, they needed to hear these words of truth just as we do today. So let's look at John chapter 15 verses 18 through 27 with those brief parameters in front of us. It says, if the, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. Jesus is making a very strong statement that we need to hear. Five times in those two verses, he mentions the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. This was previously in the night. He had told them this before. A servant is not greater than his master. So if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they will also obey your teaching. They will treat you this way because of my name. For they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not spoken and had not come, they would be guilty of sin. They would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my Father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But as it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father... He will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. Challenging passage of Scripture, nonetheless. You probably came with aspirations to hear something very uplifting and encouraging, and I hope that you hear something that will minister to you today. So before I spend any more time talking, let me give you an uplifting thought. Last week, many of you were here, you heard my former youth minister talk about the relationship that we shared and the influence that he had in my life all those years ago, and it was so cool to hear the responses from a number of you in situations in your life, but one that I wanted to draw attention to is that Mike Ferguson was under the tutelage of Barry Murchison. Barry, where are you? Barry was a youth minister, can you believe that? And he was a great youth minister, and he was so good, Mike. Why don't you two of you guys stand up? Because it's interesting to see how close in age you guys are. But Barry was Mike's just 6 years. But you remember of him as really being an adult and he had major impact in your life. I love to hear stories like that. And so we were sharing a story from long ago and God had a story just like that right here in our midst. Well, now we go into something that we won't like hearing. You're hated. You're hated. This morning, I want to talk about understanding hatred. It's all around us, is it not? What a relevant passage of Scripture. I remember dividing out the portions that we would deal with. And I looked at this on the first take and I thought, I'm not sure there's a sermon in there. And in a few minutes, you might be asking the same thing. But as I looked at this, I thought, what relevance for today? Jesus says to those who follow after him, You're hated. It's a different kind of hatred than we might see in the world today. We see people that are just mad and angry at each other. They may not have anything to know anything about their belief systems, but they're just mad. We see hatred all around us. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, just hours before they will have the, the most significant test of their lives. He says, guys, you need to know, you are hated. Hate is the world's job description, and we're not talking about the planet. We're talking about a system of belief. We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we see that Satan leveraged a victory when sin entered into the world. Because of that, he's been given enormous power. We find passages of Scripture like 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, 1 John 5.19, and Ephesians 2.2 that tell us Satan has a lot of power. But the good news is he works for manpower. He's just a temp. His pink slip is coming. But nonetheless, he has wielded great power. So whenever the world hates followers of Jesus Christ, they are simply following their job description. Why? Because the world, the system of belief that is in rebellion against God, and that's what took place in Genesis chapter 3. There was rebellion against God to say, I want to be the master, the captain of my ship. I want to call the ships. I don't want to submit to anybody. And humanity has struggled with that from the very beginning. We don't want God to be Lord over us. And so as Christians, we realize that the world hates, rebels against the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus would say, the world hates you. Five different times he talks about the world, this world that is in rebellion against God. So we look at that and we think, well, oh boy, what do we do? Well, first of all, we realize it's not personal. Have you ever had someone say to you when they did something really kind of difficult and conflictual or challenging, and they say, it's not personal? All of us have had experiences like that, and what they're doing to you feels very personal. Someone may, may say, you know, uh, beginning on Monday today, it's Friday, beginning on, on Monday, we're going to continue our, our business here without you, and, it's, and it's, it's nothing personal, you're just a lousy employee, nothing personal, or someone says something to you that's just kind of abrupt and painful and hurtful, and say, listen, it's, it's, it's nothing personal, you just have that kind of personality, maybe it's your job, your responsibility, and someone says, it's, it's, it's not you, it's not personal, but we're going in a different direction. It's important for us as Christians to realize that the hatred of the world is not vented towards us personally because of who we are as individuals. Jesus said, they hated me. Don't expect to be better than me, greater than me, nicer than me, more love than me. They hated me, so they're going to hate you. Michelle and I had the opportunity of being up in New York City, told you it was my bucket list to get up there to see the 9-11 memorial before the 20th anniversary, and so we raced up there for about 36 hours uh, when we were in D.C. last time, and it reminded me of the time that we were there in the summer of 2002, the summer after 9-11, in which we took a youth group. That was a mission trip room, because she just kept flying around. And she would come up, and she would, she would be so mean and nasty, and fortunately, her her anger was vented towards me. I guess I felt like she thought I was the leader. So I just kind of kept her to the side. And she would walk around and she would pace and she would wonder why we came all the way up here to try to bring our stuff up here. We don't need you. We don't want you up here. And I thought, man, you don't even know me, lady. But she was so angry and she just kept walking around and I just continued to talk to her and I was so discouraged and so distraught. Because I took it very personally. I thought, you know, if you knew me, I'm not such a bad guy after all. But it wasn't about me. It was about the fact that we were in contrast to her belief system. That there is no God. And that we should never talk about God. And we should never seek after God because there is no God, is what she would say. You think about the Christians being persecuted over in Afghanistan. Why are they hated? Why are they being killed? Because they didn't pay their bills? Because they're not much fun to live by? No. It's because they're Christians. The Taliban doesn't even know them personally. They just know that they're Christians, and so they want to eliminate them. They they no longer have a place in this world. They're hated for one thing, because they follow Christ. War is a classic example of this principle. Of being hated and it not being personal. It just amazes me when you think of all the wars that have been fought and how many times enemies have lined up against one another. And they have sought to kill the other side, knowing nothing about them except that they stand for a different ideology than they do. They don't know how many kids they have, they don't know what their family life is like, they don't know where they went to school, what they enjoy eating. They just line up and try to exterminate each other because they have different beliefs. Because of that, that's enough to take them out. You see, things escalate quickly when we take them personally. If you've ever been in a conflict with someone, and it probably was a personal conflict, but but if you began to embrace the conflict very personally, it escalates the problem, and we become very defensive. And Jesus was aware of that. Another point in time, I was a chaplain intern at Baylor Hospital up in Dallas. Just graduated from seminary. It was the next kind of proving ground, training ground. And went in there, and I had a very difficult particular wing. People that were dealing with very serious illnesses. And I remember going into this one room, and I had just introduced myself. And I said, hi, my name is Raymond. I'm the chaplain here at Baylor. And all of a sudden, profanity yelling, get out of this room right now. I remember thinking, you want me to get out of the room? You're in the bed. I'll stay here as long as I want. I mean, that's kind of how I felt. Very immature, I understand. And I didn't say that, by the way, for those of you just waking up. But I I just, I remember thinking, my soul. He doesn't even know who I am, but he's so angry at me. Was he angry at me? No. No. He was angry at God, and I represented God. And so thus, he didn't want me anywhere around. see, friends, when, when we face adversity from other people, because we're Christians, if we take it personally, it will create a wedge. It will prevent us from ministering to them. It will drive us apart, and that's what Satan wants. Satan is always seeking to drive us into isolation. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, don't take it personally. They hate you because of me, not because of anything that you have done except that you follow after me. Paul would write about that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12. Anybody that is that is seeking righteousness will be persecuted. Sometimes we it doesn't mean that that's the badge of holiness that you're being persecuted because you're holy. Sometimes We are divisive. We can be offensive. I was listening to someone speak even this week, and the prayer was so profound. He said, Lord, don't let us have any offense except the cross. Don't let us be an offense except for the cross. Sometimes we do things that are offensive. What Jesus was saying is, don't take every disposition against Christianity as a personal attack against you. But instead, he says, embrace the hate with the love of Christ. Embrace the hate with the love of Christ. Very strategic chosen words there. Because we need to embrace the hate. We don't need to push it away. We so, we so often want to. It comes up so quickly. Whenever you begin to talk about faith with someone that doesn't believe in God, tension begins to come. I was engaged in a conversation with a few guys this last week. One of the guys said that he he wanted to know more about baptism. So I said, man, I'm I'm all in. Let's talk. Why do you want to get baptized? All of a sudden, the phone started ringing. There were noise around us. Chaos began to erupt. I tried to talk to him, and then he got busy, and he walked off, and then another guy walked off, and one guy is sitting in front of me who hadn't even asked any questions, and he said, I would like to be baptized too. I began to talk with him a little bit about that, what it means to be baptized, and lo and behold, I tried as hard as I could to talk him out of making an abrupt decision to follow Christ, but lo and behold, he prayed to receive Christ. And I sat there in amazement because as we began, conversation was fine until the idea of Christ came up, and then the phone began to ring, and then there was conversation, and there's distractions, and all kinds of confusion. It's the way it is. Satan is in rebellion against us, and we don't need to fight against that with our own anger. We need to embrace that with the love of Christ. Christians are called, if you want to tweet something today, Christians are called to retaliate with God's love. We are called to retaliate with God's love, not with vindictiveness. You see, in every clarion, we hear these calls for humanity to just love one another. But the kind of love that is being called for will never bring about peace because there are two opposing views. In the world. There are many that we can see, but there are two specific primary opposing views Jesus Christ is Lord, no, he's not. And those two are in perpetual war against one another. So when people call out for us to just love one another, just as Rodney King did all those years ago, it doesn't work. And politicians, promise that we're all going to get along, it it doesn't work. The only way it works is through the love of Jesus Christ, that supernatural, selfless love. It only comes from him, but it is so filled with power, as we see right here in this passage of Scripture. Could any of us talk like this just hours before being crucified? Jesus is saying, embrace the hate with the love of Christ. I'm sending the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, and He will be with you, the Spirit of truth. You see, when we speak the Spirit of truth into people's lives, it causes a decision to be made. I've chosen to do something in recent days that may is not, maybe not wise, maybe even ill-advised in sharing, but when I bump into someone that seems very cavalier about God and Christ, and we talk for a little bit, and I share with them the, the polarizing statement of Jesus Christ, which he said in John fourteen on the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He was saying then, there are only two views. Either I am or I am not. Those are the only two views in the world. And as they continue to be cavalier, I'm not trying to talk him into anything. I'm just trying to help them to see their own rebellion against God. Because so many people feel as if God is a nice Santa Claus and everything is going to be okay, but he doesn't deserve my allegiance. They talk flippantly about him. So I challenged him to 30 days of prayer. I said, tell you what, why don't you do this? Why don't you just pray for 30 days to God and say, God, if you're there, reveal yourself to me. And after 30 days, you're convinced there is no God? Quit playing around. Just stick your fist up towards God and curse Him and tell Him you don't believe in Him. I wouldn't do that. You are doing that, my friend. The idea is that we can kind of negotiate a comfortable path, and we can't. We're either all in with the Lord or we're all out. There's no such thing as a casual connection as we saw with the, the pruning and the vine last week. So Jesus says, I want you to speak the truth that the words that are used there is you are to be my witness on the witness stand. You alone are my witness. Live as if there is no one else to witness for Christ and take the stand and speak the truth in the people's lives, but do it in a loving way. Love them best that you can by speaking the truth. I think about what's going on even to the east of us now, this hurricane coming through. What would it have been like if the weather channel said, I really think that this is going to be a pretty bad storm, we probably shouldn't tell anybody. It's going to be pretty rough, and I don't want to alarm people, and so let's just uh, just do some of our old reruns. Would that have been helpful? Would that have been loving? No. I think about Galveston back in 1900, and Isaac Klein was the Galveston Weather Bureau director. He was ahead of his time. He he could understand from from the rising seas that something was going on, and there was sketch information about a storm out there, and he was encouraging people to leave the island while they could. They were all laughing at him and mocking him and saying, look at this. This is not a stormy day, and everybody that would take heed to what he said got over the island before the waters came across, and they were trapped, and as we know, eight to 12,000 people died that day. He was doing the loving thing by speaking truth. Do we have to be abrasive when we speak the truth? Not at all. You might say, well, boy, it sure sounded like you putting your fist up in the air stuff. I'm trying to do the most loving thing to say is if God is that casual to you, you need to know where you stand because a day will come in which all of us will stand before Christ. Regardless of where people are in eternity, every person that has died would tell us the same thing today. Repent and give your life to Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you come to the realization that God does love you and he's created you to have a relationship with him? But tragically, our sin has separated us, but God in his great love sent Jesus Christ to die for our sins so we can be made right with God. Oh, the loving message of God is to redeem us. All we have to do is humbly repent of our sins, acknowledge Him as Lord, and surrender our life to Him. And we will be changed for all of eternity. If you've never done that, I want to invite you to join me in this prayer. And I don't know where this message lands with you as a a Christian, but I I pray that, that you would hear the words of what Jesus says about the hatred that is out there, and that we would stand faithful. It's so easy to fall off and say, I want to be accepted. Over in Afghanistan, all they have to do is renounce Christ. They have people pointing guns at them, saying, you renounce Christ and you bow the knee to Muhammad and you will live. And if they do that, everything changes. They're embraced. They're loved. They're on their side. But if they don't, their life comes to an end. Oh, friends, we live in such uncertain, difficult times, and only Christ can make the difference. Are you praying for spiritual renewal in your life, my life, if you're right where you need to be, pray for spiritual renewal in my life. Pray for spiritual awakening every place the virus has gone. There's so much uncertainty, so much unsettledness. feels like jello that we're trying to nail against the wall, and just nothing seems to be certain. But Christ is. So let's seek Him out as we pray. God, as we come to you, we're reminded of the great uncertainty in which you spoke these words Disciples were so uncertain about what was to happen, but you were certain, you were positive, you knew exactly what was going to happen. And you walked with such victory and such power. Lord, we know that global peace will never come apart from you. Yes, if the world surrendered completely unto you, we would know perfected peace. But until we bow the knee, we won't know peace within this world or peace within our life. So if anyone in this room or listening online has never received you as Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they recognize where they stand, and that they would say, Lord Jesus, I realize I am a sinner in desperate need of your forgiveness. Please forgive me of all my sins and become the Lord and Savior of my life. I surrender to you all that I am and all that I have, and I will follow hard after you the remaining days of my one and only life. God, for us as Christians, help us to picture what David saw when he was about to go against the Philistines. He cried out to you and you gave him that very specific direction and said, don't move, don't move until you hear the rustling in the trees, the troops marching in the trees as your power was being manifest. God, we long to see your power manifest in that way in our lives lives changed families redeemed culture radically transformed by what you want to do god thank you for your transforming power in our lives christ's name we pray amen well you've heard earlier at the beginning of the service if you have a decision to make you can text that to ninety-four thousand and just pick one of those and we'll be in touch with you you can meet us at the door. And if you want to know more about what it means to become a Christian or to join the church or to be baptized, you know, you don't see a baptistry in here, but baptism is a first step towards making that public proclamation of Christ. And so if God is moving in your life, I pray that you would respond accordingly as we stand together and as we sing.
0: dismissed. Don't forget if you have not gotten your picture taken yet, there's a picture taken station over here. I think that's the one we have going on. But be sure to have your picture taken. God bless you. Have a great rest of the week.